This episode of Due North Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Sportsman's Guide. For everything you need to enjoy the fun, freedom, and traditions of the outdoors, you got to check out sportsmansguide.com. From hunting and fishing to camping, hiking, and just hanging around a bonfire in the backyard, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Tree stands, blinds, rods and reels, ATV accessories, and so much more. Clothing and footwear, too, from top-notch brands like Scentlock, Nomad, Mountain Hardware, Irish Setter, Danner, Ah, the list just keeps on going. Plus, a full line of firearms, ammo, and accessories. The bottom line, if it happens outdoors, you'll find it at Sportsman's Guide. Shop today at sportsmansguide.com and use the code DUNORTH for $20 off your first order. That's DUNORTH, all one word, for $20 off your first order. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Do North Outdoors podcast. Natalie Dillon speaking. I'm joined by my co-host, Travis Frank. And today, a special guest. We've got Twin Cities-based fishing guide, Ryan McMahon. And I have to say, you really are a very special guest today. It's guest number one on the podcast. I didn't know that. How does that make you feel? A little weird, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) There's no pressure. You're you're definitely going to be the best we've ever had up to this point. Yeah, nobody else can ever say they were the first guest on the show. You have the only title. Inaugural episode. Inaugural, yeah. Wow. Fresh off the water, too, and going back on the water today, so we're not going to waste your time. We're just going to pick your brain here and dive right in. Um, Did you catch any muskies this morning? Man, I, I really hoped I was going to come in here smelling like musky, yeah. but, but big negative. Yeah, we, we moved a few, um, you know, just nothing nothing real cooperative today, kind of low and lazy. And um, I had actually had one push and awake on top water. Really? Um, yeah, probably like a 38-incher, and it, it turned off hard about 10 feet from the boat. When you said smell like musky, <laughs> there's no other fish that smells like a musky. It, it smells good. It smells good. Yeah. I know everyone that's ever caught one, they know that afterwards you're like, wow, yeah, that's like, that's like the smell, smell of success. Good. Yeah, that's, pike do not smell good. There, there's been many times yeah. that I'm like, you know, at a, at a sports bar after a day of musky fishing, halfway through eating, and I smell fish on my hands, realized I probably haven't cleaned them, and I'm like, you know what? It's Keep okay. It. It's Keep a it. happy smell. <laughs> it's a good smell, a good yes. Smell. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are, as we stand today, we're just about a week and a half, 10 days into musky fishing here in Minnesota. We're going to talk a lot about musky fishing as we go throughout the episode, but just quick uh, overview. How's your season been so far the last 10 days? I was hoping you weren't going to ask that. <laughs> just lie. <laughs> no, it, it's it's been a little slower. Um, you know, kind of a late spring, right? I mean, a little cooler. Uh, water temperatures were like, I don't know, almost 10 degrees cooler than they were last year at this time. Um, so, you know, the fish are, they're doing a little bit of everything. Some are in shallow, some are on the weed edges, some are out in open water. Um, the only ones that we really can seem to get to bite are, are like the 38 inches and smaller. Um, we've had a couple, a couple bites, a couple bumps from some bigger ones got close, but just haven't connected. Um, but you know, I think as much as I don't like 95 degree, hundred degree days, I think a couple of those bump that water temperature up a little bit. I think, I think it's going to get on track here pretty quick. So. Yeah, I I feel like I've had similar results. I've had two outings where I've musky fished uh, since the opener, and kind of the same uh, from my experience in that I saw a lot of smaller fish that were active, and they just did not want to eat. But they were still just getting out there and um, having the follows and seeing the fish. Uh, we can talk and dig into kind of, you know, like your musky brain a little bit, because I... I share the same addiction and Natalie does as well, but there are, there are seasonal patterns that a muskie goes through every year that a lot of people that don't spend as much time on the water like you do may not fully understand. And right now we just came off of the spawn for the muskie spawn. And you mentioned how the water being cooler, um, you know, there's that transition. And Ryan, do you find, <clears throat> cause I feel like when I'm casting on structure this time of the year, those smaller fish that you're seeing too are in the weeds and the first green weeds of the year and up shallow. But the big ones after the spawn, a lot of times I catch those suspended out in the open lake. Do you do any open water fishing this time of the year, chasing fish that are not relating to weed lines and structure? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's, it's, I feel like it's a little bit weird sometimes with the Metro lakes, you know, they're not, they're not big, huge lakes. Right. So, um, 
you know, like Malax, for instance, right? You got them, they're in the spawning bays, and then they're, you know, then they kind of go out to sea. I mean, it's here, I think they're, you know, they're up in the shallows, and they might kind of be on the weed edges, and they kind of might be in the shallows again. And then I think, I think you're right, though. I think the, the biggest fish in the lakes, the females, like they're out in the open water. Um, and that's where I've, I've had trouble this year, you know, getting those things to show themselves. I mean, we're marking some big fish out there, presumably these, the fish we're talking about, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I keep right now it's a balance of fishing the weeds, fishing the, the structure, and then going out there and checking on them and keeping them honest. Um, you know, and, and sometimes I've got, you know, I have some trips that are like just trolling trips, essentially. Um, I got one of those coming up later this week. So I'm kind of excited to get back out there and just see if we can get those fish to start opening their mouth and snapping. Well, the thing about fishing shallow water and the smaller ones are tend to be more willing to follow, even if they're not going to strike. So let's say you've got somebody, you take a lot of people out, I'm sure different levels of experience and they want to see a fish, you know, they want to see the, the follow. And when you're out in the middle of the abyss like that, away from everything, it's mentally challenging sometimes to just cast into nowhere and not not know like you know ryan there's gonna be fish here you guys just trust me but you got somebody that just drove in from let's say tennessee and their their fish of a lifetime depends on you and you you just say trust me you're casting into nowhere but there's a fish out there and they have to they have to just keep going i you're saying everything that i would say honestly like this is i've, I've said this before and you know i started you know, so I've been guiding for about 12 years or so, um, you know, and, and as I started guiding and spending more time on the water, you know, this is back when, I mean, we're pretty much using mapping and, and 2D sonar. Um, and you knew that those fish were out in the open water. You knew that they were there. And it was always like, I just need more time. I need to be on the water every day. I need to mix in, you know, if I'm out there for 10 hours a day, I'm going to mix in five open water hours, you know, and, and, um, as I started to do that more, we started to catch fish. And yeah, you, you need people to kind of give you blind faith to go out there because those open water fish, a lot of times you don't see them until they follow. Now with improved, you know, with, uh, you know, a live scope or like, um, you which know, one do you run? So I have a live scope uh, unit. I'm terrible with it. I don't, really? I don't use it to its full ability, but just with side imaging too, you get, you know, a lot of, you can tell when they follow on side imaging. And a lot of times those open water fish don't want to come up high enough to the boat. They follow, but they just drop off. You know, so now you know that they're there a little bit more. You can, you can see, you know, distinct marks, you know, by bait piles, things like that, where you know that they're out there. Um, but yeah, back in the day with just sonar, I mean, you'd fish all day and then all of a sudden you get like two bites in a 20 minute window. Um, you know, where, yeah, if you're fishing the weeds, you might be seeing one every half an hour, 45 minutes or something like that. I have to say, I'm just over here smiling, listening to you guys talk about this because this is the exact dilemma that I face all the time. I love musky fishing, but I don't fish quite so much as you guys. I might be getting out like once a week or something in the summer. And this is exactly what I face that if I'm fishing in open water and I don't see anything, I feel like I just wasted hours. And so at least if I'm fishing weed lines, which I'm typically going to be doing this time of year, I feel like, well, I didn't see one, but I was doing the right things. And this is a good reminder to me and probably other people listening to really put the time in and put those hours in, even if you don't see the results right away. Yeah. I'm inspired. I think, um, <clears throat> so I've been fishing muskies, uh, gosh, like almost 30 years around here. And it was something that I learned early on, early enough that I started guiding for muskies when I was in high school. And I was 16 when I started doing it. And I tell people today, I've got some, some of my guests that come back and they've been coming for over 15 years or, or longer. And they talk about the good old days because they got, they got in on it. You know, I was really fortunate to experience it. It's dip, musky fishing in Minnesota today is nothing like what it was 20 years ago. It just isn't. And I know, Ryan, I know you've seen the, how things have changed. And we can, we can take this conversation wherever we want to go today as far as where the lakes and the stocking program um, stand uh, and how you feel about that. But I tell people all the time that you, when they come fishing with me, they say, you got to trust me because this lure will catch a fish and I'm, and I'm taking you where the fish are, but that doesn't mean they're going to follow. That doesn't mean they're going to bite. They have these short feeding windows that you just mentioned, Ryan, and you might not see anything today for three hours and you might see six fish in 15 minutes when the window opens. So there's no messing around when they, when you get the first follow, it's go time because whatever triggers that one fish, 
triggers everything in the lake. And we can talk about moon and all that kind of stuff too, if you want. But um, it's, it's fascinating in that if you're going out now to learn how to musky fish and you didn't experience what it was like to go out on these lakes where the fish were eager to follow a bait and you'd have action and you could put together patterns quickly, it's, it's a lot harder, at least in my opinion, because now you cast it over a fish that did not follow. You know, they, it's almost like the genetics of muskies mm-hmm. following have been taken out of some of these fish because they've been pressured so hard over the years. So when they do follow, I tell people, if we see five fish today, you're probably going to have three bites. You know, that's, an, that's like a normal day now for, for me when we go out there. So I, I feel like I didn't even need to come in right now because Travis is li- like literally saying well, everything. I mean, I'm seeing the same exact stuff. And yeah. I'm, I'm the king of like corny sports analogies. When it comes to musky fishing, just to try to put things in perspective for the people in my boat a lot of times. And it's kind of like at-bats, right? Like you get a fall, it's almost like an at-bat and uh, in baseball or softball or whatever. And, um, you know, it's almost like now it's like, you know, you're not getting five, six at-bats. It's, you're like pinch hitting. It's like, you know, you get these, you know, a guest in your boat that might only musky fish a couple times a year. And they're, they're getting way fewer follows, way fewer at-bats, if you will. And now you're asking them to perform in the bottom of the ninth, you know, down by a run. And it's like, uh, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough to be. That's why I'm a big mechanics guy. You know, every cast. You have to be. Right. You have I mean, to just be. ingrain that into yeah. your muscle memory and brain and everything because you don't know when they're coming. And when they do, <laughs> you know, you better be ready. I took a guy out. Yeah. And just to, real quick, Nelly, I took a guy out the other day on opening the Sunday of opener and he'd not been out and muskies new to him. And I said, this is going to be musky boot camp for you. I'm going to spend an hour getting you to do exactly what you need to do so that when that fish appears out of nowhere, you don't have to think it's just muscle memory. You're just doing the movements exactly the way it needs to happen. So that when that muskie shows up, it's coming to eat and you need to get that figure eight doing what it needs to do to make that lure look like something that's trying to escape that gets their instinct to attack on the turn. And so we, you know, we can break down figure eights and I think you got so questions. Is, yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, Ryan, but we reach out for listener questions ahead of time and we got a number of them and actually two different people. We have Olivia Matchy and also Steve Gifford. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your names right. Um, both asked about figure eights and I think this could lead us on quite a tangent, but um, they asked, you know, figure eight question mark and figure eight or bust question mark. So for people who are maybe newer into musky fishing, maybe just a, you know, brief overview of what the figure eight is and why is it necessary every time? And maybe one or two tips for it. Um, yeah. I mean, like right now I'm telling people, um, you know, basically when you cast out and you start your retrieve, the whole time you're retrieving that bait plan on catching it at the boat. Plan on catching it in the figure eight. If one does us a favor and eats way out there, fantastic. We're, we're going to consider that a bonus. But, um, you know, you are, you are a bait fish. Whatever you're, whatever you're fishing, you're a bait fish. You're swimming along. And then I like to add a trigger maybe as I'm getting halfway or a third back, or a third, two-thirds of the way back from my retrieve. Um, closer to the boat, I like to add maybe a trigger. If there's a fish following further behind, it kicks its tail, maybe gets up on the bait a little bit more. And then... I've seen it, um, you know, when I do seminars and stuff like that, I've, I've seen it with, like, saltwater fish. I actually have a really, really cool um, video of a dolphin chasing, like, a jack or something in shallots overhead. It's a pirated YouTube video that I <laughs> stole, right? But it's so cool because this jack, you know, the, this prey is, like, it keeps, like, doing these tight turns, and the dolphin can't match that turn, right? It's, so prey, like, smaller fish that aren't as fast as, as their predator they can't outrun them in a drag race, right? So it's very natural for bait fish to just spin out and turn, and then the muskie kind of goes by. They're like a matador, and the muskie's the bull. It just goes flying by. So you want to simulate that, a bait fish getting away, but you want to make a nice wide turn and kind of set it out on a tee for them to just, mm-hmm. you know, go out and eat. Um, and a lot of times right now when these fish are a little bit more sluggish in the cooler water, the problem is, is there's a lot of distance. You know, these fish are following further behind, and they'll come in, and they come in just stiff as a board, and they don't really swim and follow that same shape that your bait makes. They, they kind of come in, and then they'll pivot, and they'll kind of look at you, or, or you'll turn, and now, now your bait's going back towards their face. 
So that's, that's the trouble right now is kind of trying to get synced up. Um, but if you just always kind of keep that, that in your mind that you're a bait fish, you're trying to get away, um, but you don't want to get away, right? right. <laughs> it's finding that happy medium between you really want to spark that killer instinct. I mean, they're the, they're the top of the food chain. They can have their, their pick, you know, of what's in the lake. So you got to spark them to want to eat, but you also have to have to let them eat. You can't rip it away from them. Absolutely. There's no worse yeah. feeling than making a bad move in the figure eight, taking it out of the fish's mouth and seeing it swim away. Something that we all try to avoid. Yeah, it's been cool watching too. Uh, I've got the active target unit from Lance on on the boat. So whoever's casting, depending on where they're at, I can just point and watch the lure coming in and I can see the follows. And it's amazing how quick, it's lightning fast when a muskie decides it wants to appear. Like they'll go from the bottom to the 20, 20 feet up in the surface and it's almost like on the screen if you blinked you missed it because it's so fast how they scream up to it and now you've got this fish falling behind it's super cool to watch but like, you got one falling trust me mm-hmm. get ready for your figure eight go down deep go speed up you know and it's just as as somebody who's just standing there watching and, and trying to teach people it's it's been really cool for me to be able to watch that on there but i think the clear water that we have has really had an impact on musky fishing because um, they're following right to the boat. They can see you and it just makes your figure eight that much more important. So going back to that question, um, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, let's take a bucktail for instance, most common lure probably for most people to throw. It's a straight thing coming in, you know, and that fish gets dialed in on it and it's falling right behind it. But if you're reeling it up towards the surface, you know, the rod tips out of the water and you're reeling it up, the fish is staring at you when it comes Mm -hmm. to the boat and then you go in and you're like, Oh, and you go make this maneuver and you think that's going to work. And I'm like, think of it this way. I I want you to drop your rod tip down three feet in the water. Probably you've got nine foot rods, probably Ryan. Right. And that's kind of what I use too. And so now I get the bait down. So my bucktails, I want it to dive down as it's coming towards the boat. Then when the fish is looking at that lure, it just takes this big wide sweeping turn. So now when it goes up near the surface, it's away from you. So then they don't see you. And then when it dives back down by the boat, it's looking down. So they never are actually staring at you mm-hmm. in the eye. And again, like you said, that, that killer instinct, you want to trigger something. And if it's been going straight, 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 and all of a sudden it just whoosh, takes mm-hmm. this big sweeping dive around, like there's just something that triggers inside and that says it's going to get away and I got to take it now. And then on the first turn, like you said, you just let it hang there for them and they take it. But the other cool thing with the active target is, you know, I've been fishing kind of out from the structure a little bit too. The um, massive schools of bait fish that we have here, you guide in the Metro area in Minnesota. You also, where else do you guide Ryan? I mean, kind of all over, but I spent a lot of time in Detroit lakes yep, okay. um, up that way. And, and those are zebra Filled waters too, yeah. right? I, when you said clear water, I was going to, I almost butted in. I was going to say, what lakes do you fish that don't have zebra mussels yeah. in Minnesota? I mean, there's hardly any anymore. It's changed the game for sure. So between pressure and the water clarity, it's definitely made a difference on, on the fishing. And then, of course, the population in some of the lakes aren't what they once were too. So does it make you just want to drop out of your boat some days and say, <laughs> I'm going to go bass fishing? Well, so, well, well you do now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I yeah. do a lot of smallmouth fishing. I actually fishing. just had a good day of smallmouth fishing a couple, couple weeks ago now. Yeah. 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 No, it, it, sometimes I'm, yeah, like this time of year when it's a slow start, I'm like, man, I should, I should be up smallmouth fishing still. But yeah, it's, no, I mean, getting back to the clear water and, and actually it's, I'm kind of going back here and saying exactly what you said, but I've seen that too with the live scope where the fish will fall. Like you'll be bringing a bait in and they're following, but like 10 feet below it. Yeah. And then they'll do, you get to the boat and they do that like blink of the eye, like shoot straight up and you're watching it on the screen and you're almost like, like, like did it bite? Like what? Like, and then the, the, the guy will be figure eighting in the front and he's like, Oh yeah, there it is. It's just a lazy fall. Like it just, kind of appears. But it looks like a missile on the screen. Exactly. And I think, I don't know if they shoot up and they see the boat, you know, and that's, I mean, that might be a clear water thing, right? I mean. Yeah. It's it's hard to tell what's going on in their minds, but that gets to a question that I get asked a lot. And I actually had somebody reach out a couple weeks ago saying he's, he's got a bucket list of catching a 50 inch muskie and he's got this, uh, downrigger system on his boat. So he's trolling. And I'm like, 
and he's trolling a bunch of different lakes. He goes, where should I go in the metro to get a fish? I want to troll. I've got the downrigger set up. And I'm like, you know, I don't think you want to go downrigger on that and get, because he basically said he wants to get his bait down deep, like 30, 40, 50 feet. And I'm like, most of those fish are never going to go deeper than 25 feet, roughly, you know, in the, in the, um, the, uh, the thermocline sets up on, on most lakes, you know, rarely would they ever go deeper, but the reality is a flick of their tail, they can go 20 feet. I mean, you think about it, that's the distance of most fishing boats. It's not that far. And a muskie can get where it wants to get really, really fast. I'm like eyes on the top of their head, they feed up and you you're probably spending all this time trolling lures below the fish that you're trying to catch. So that's something else to consider in open water. When you troll open water, which has become popular in the muskie community, right? What kind of, um, you don't have to give away all of your secrets here, but like what kind of lures do you like to troll? And there are there certain speeds or any techniques that help? Because the abyss can be daunting to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I... I don't consider myself an expert troller. I mean, I did a lot of trolling last year. It just seemed like the bite was pretty good. Fish were spread out and needed to cover water. You know, throw, a lot of times we're throwing the big rubber baits out, out in open water, and it just, I just didn't feel like we're covering enough water. So, um, you know, and I, I had done some in the past, but last year I really I got into it a little bit more, and, and basically, you know, we're, we're using big planer boards, um, the church boards, uh, TX44s, um, putting those out, and a lot of the supernatural baits, the headlocks, matlocks, yeah. Um, those have been really good. Um, Which, for people that don't know, it's a giant crankbait. It is. Think of a Rapala, mm-hmm. custom-built Rapala that's just bigger. 12 <laughs> inches long or bigger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big big old hunk of cedar. They got they got cool paint jobs, good finishes. They got a big metal lip with different pin settings to kind of get different actions at different depths. They're really neat. Um, blue water baits, they make some really cool crankbaits, too. Um, you know, these are, these are big, expensive baits, but they, I mean you're trolling these things at, you know, pretty high speeds, three and a half to four and a half miles an hour. So, I mean, they take a beating, they can wear out. Um, so it's good to have, have the nice stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, I'll spread those out and then I'll usually put like what we call down rod, you know, and then I'll just kind of bury a rod in the water, um, and put one and usually just put like a, a little bit smaller crankbait a lot of times, kind of right at the end of the prop wash, about 40 feet back or something. And, and like you're saying, I mean, yeah, I don't, really like to get the baits down too far i mean even even if the fish are down i think like later in the summer they will push down they'll sit right above the thermocline which around here on the the deeper clear lakes from what i've always found is usually around 25 30 feet down they'll sit right above it and they'll you know the bait will be kind of just above them um but i i think when it gets warmer it's it gets it becomes unsafe for the muskies to pull them from those depths um so you know i and that's when i'm up north too i go find cooler water and stuff but um, the downrigger thing, when I, the, I've got a, a ranger that I've had for a few years now, but when I got it, I, it was my first experience with a power pole. So like the shallow water ankle anchor power pole. And, um, it had like a, a quick release clip on it. So when I was trolling, cause you know, trolling the big double bladed bucktails is a thing, yeah. but you got to put like six ounces on, you know, a big <laughs> old ball on there and, and, um, so what I was doing is I was actually like deploying the power pole and running my line through that clip. And then you could keep a, a, a double-bladed bucktail in there. So, like, that would be kind of a cool thing yeah. with downriggers. But, yeah, I don't think, I don't think you know, usually, you know, getting baits down 10 feet is about as deep as I'm trying to get them. So. Right. Well, we're talking baits, but on the casting side of things, a, a lot of people listening to this podcast will be looking for tips for musky fishing right now, you know, in this region. So it seems like we're having a pretty typical June this year as opposed to the last couple of years that heated up really fast. So what baits does everyone need to be throwing right now? You said you're already using top water. Are you still doing? Yeah. So glide baits and a lot of times, you know, if you got a little cooler year or whatever, um, you know, a lot of times like glide baits and mm-hmm. and you know twitch baits, little minnow baits and stuff are pretty good. But um, that hasn't been working. I mean, we've been moving some fish on on that kind of stuff right now. But um, the fish that have been biting have been on bucktails. Um, so you know, smaller, medium to smaller size, like musky frenzy, IC nines, um, musky mayhem triggers. Kramer Brothers, Comets, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, we've been moving a lot of fish on rubber. I feel like that rubber bite's, like, just about to go. Like, once it heats up a little bit here in the next few days, I think, you know, like, I, I throw a lot of regular Medusas this, mm-hmm. t- this time uh, of year. And then uh, the Muskie Innovations Shallow Swimming Dogs, those have been good. Um, 
my buddy Chris Wellen makes a, an A rig, Alabama rig. You know, you can you can only have one mm-hmm. bait with hooks on it, but I've been throwing those shallow swimming dogs on that with some blades on it, man. It How is that really to cool. cast? Oh. It's it's a it's a chore. It's yeah. one like if you want the guide trip to, to come to an end, you give that guy you give the guy <laughs> yeah. the front of the boat that one and, and tell him to reel it in as fast as you can. But no, it's tricks uh, of the trade. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's been getting some looks, but um, yeah, top water. If we if you have clouds, and I I like it to be really calm this time of year for top water. Mm-hmm. Later on in the year, I like a nice little chop. You know, like a, a one foot six inch chop or something for top water. But that kind of those eerie humid. Um, you know, cloudy, calm days. Um, yeah, Lake X fat bastards. They've been pretty they've tough been getting, to beat those. Yeah, they've yeah. been getting some looks. So, yeah. Is yeah. top water your favorite way to catch a muskie? Yeah, I think so. So, I don't how think about, you would have a muskie angler say I, that, anything yeah, besides be that. Yeah, be blasphemous. Yeah, yeah, that explosion to watch a fish of that size come up and and take it. That's I think what everyone envisions right. when they think of musky fishing. Yeah. Just shark week it. Shark you know? week. Yep. So you've been uh fishing for a lot of years and I want well we're talking about your favorite way to catch a fish. I, I want to know if you could paint a picture for us of like your absolute favorite time of year, weather, day, bait you've already mentioned that you just know you're going to catch a fish. What would it look like? It's a very good question. Um yeah, I mean, the top water thing, to, to go back on that, I mean, it's, you know, there'll be days where I'm like, it'll be, you know, February 10th, and I'll be laying awake in bed, and I can't fall asleep because I'm thinking about top water fishing. You know what I mean? It just, it, that's, that's this, those are like the images that just get like ingrained in your brain and just make you obsessed with musky fishing. And I think, I think if I, if I could, you know, create the perfect musky day, it would be, um, you know, like late August, early September, when those fish first start moving up onto shallow spots, they move up onto like sand and gravel. Um, you know, so you're done, you're done ripping the big rubber. You're, you're done, you know, picking weeds off your baits cause you're in these clean spots. Um, you know, and you get that, you get like an overcast, you get a little chop and, um, you're just kind of watching your top water ride over the waves and, all of a sudden it might go down below one and then, you know, like the water erupt. I mean, it just, it's, that's the best. It's, it's so visual. Um, you're so dialed in. I mean, you can have three people in the boat all throwing top water and everybody's just like locked in and quiet and just. I can hear it right now. Yeah, exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's the best. Just total intensity. You know, I love it. Yeah. And something to keep in mind there. And I can speak from experience of making the mistake is to watch how hard you set the hook when you're using top water. I have attended, I think I've done it in your boat and ripping it out of the fish's mouth. I think just once. Well, so yeah, we, I had a perfect example. I had a, a, a Dean in my boat on, on Sunday and Monday and really, really great guy, new to musky fishing. And so he, we had a couple of decent topwater days and he had, he had one on Sunday, a pretty decent fish, like a mid forties fish, um, eat. And it was a pretty good eat. Uh, and he kind of set the hook the wrong way and then kind of got up with the rod mm-hmm. and kind of just, you know, he was kind of pushing the rod away from him and hand slipped. I couldn't keep up with the line and that one was way out there. So we needed a pretty good hook set with that one. Right. So we talked about everything, keep the rod low, set across your body and then pick up line. Cause those things are going to eat and they're going to shake their head and come towards you. It's really important. You know, everybody likes the high speed reels for burning bucktails and moving baits really fast. But I think it's really important after you hook the fish um, to keep them hooked, to keep, you know, that forward pressure on them as they, they shake their head and come towards you. Um, and so then, the, yeah, the next day, um, Dean had another one eat top water, and this time it was with about 20 feet of line out. And I don't know what happened. I think it was a little bit of a smaller fish. Sometimes they just don't quite get it in their mouth or whatever, and, and it ate, and he set the hook great. I mean, it was low. It was, I mean, I knew it was a good hook set because it skimmed the water at about maybe 100 to 105 miles an hour coming back to the boat. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the side of your boat. Yeah, it was yeah. about six inches off the water the whole yeah. way, so he didn't set up. Yeah. Um, and I think it I think it bounced off the, the shaft of the trolling motor, but, I mean, it just, you know, we just didn't quite connect with that one. For such a killer, you know, that people think muskies really are, the fact that they cannot get that lure in their mouth <laughs> so often, mm-hmm. it just drives me bonkers. I always tell people, here's what you do, you Put a blindfold on and just keep reeling. Do not yeah, stop reeling. Yeah. Which obviously they don't put a blindfold on, but I tell them count to two 
Yeah. After the explosion, just keep reeling because that thing thinks it's food. I mean, have you ever had a northern or a muskie grab a bass or something when you're reeling it in? They don't let go. Mm-hmm. That fish, once it finally commits, it's not going to let go instantly. So you've got a little bit of time. You want them to take it, turn in the water, and then your hook set goes into the side of the mouth versus the roof of their mouth in the front, which is where that hook, the head shake that you talked about. I always tell people, if you've got them hooked after the first five seconds, most of the time it's yours. That's when they get off. They spit the hook because every muskie shakes its head back and forth while swimming directly at you as fast as it possibly can, trying to spit the hook, and that's the intense part right there. I mean, the, the rest of the battle is pretty intense too, but like that's where things tend to go to go bad. Well, and it's, yeah, like you said, that two seconds, it's, it, that's so important with topwater because when they're coming behind, and, and right now I'm doing hand motions, so anybody listening is not going to be able to see them, but so put your, put your hand up. up. Okay. Yeah, 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 I do this all the time, right? Yeah, yeah my right hand is always, it makes a really good musky mouth, but, you know, they, they'll get behind that bait, and they basically, you know, they a lot of times they're pushing that wake, so they're, you know, that bait's already getting kind of getting pushed, and it's, you know, and then they open their mouth, and when they open the mouth, you know, it kind of pushes that bait a little bit, and it. I think people feel that because I always say, don't set the hook till you feel something. Well, what I should be saying is feel weight. Yeah, well, right? mm-hmm. we want that rod to load up. Also, yeah. think about this: the eyes are on the top of their head, so they open their big old beak up, and they can't see it now when they go. <laughs> and most fish, if you watch a fish attack underwater, and you've probably seen this too, but most fish inhale when they lunge mm-hmm. forward. You know, and so their 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 gills flare as they come in, they attack. They don't have that suction on on top of the surface. They lose that when they come out of the water to get it. So if they were eating underwater, that's why they're so much better at eating under the water. But the fun of the top water strike, because you get to see that strike, is cool. It just it leads to a lot of misses. And let's be honest, that's part of the fun of musky fishing. It really is. You've so done your job. Hungry. You convince that fish to eat, and you say, oh. It was so close, so close. But I want it even more now. Mm-hmm. I want it even more. And you keep on casting. Keep and it's on like casting. You asked me, I think our last episode, you know, when I got hooked into musky fishing and it wasn't, you know, most people would probably say my first musky. And for me, it was literally just seeing my first follow and seeing that fish. And it was like, to me, that was enough. And, and I think it's something that a lot of people probably experience because it's different seeing a musky, especially if they're following or, you know, if they take a lunge at your bait, it's different than seeing, you know, a, a lovely panfish or, or bass that we also love but it's a different beast well i can i can yeah uh, numerous people where they they come out their first time and uh, they catch i've had guys catch 50 inches their first time ever musky fishing never hear from these guys i think okay he's gonna he's gonna book some more trips he's mm-hmm. into it but it's yeah it's the, the people that come out and have a bunch of like close calls near misses you know like that kind of thing they're like all right when's your next open day yeah, yeah i yeah, gotta yeah. get back yeah. out here i got it so when was it for you ryan you've been fishing since the 90s i think couple three three Oof. decades almost yeah. at this point so what was it for you i know you really got into it in high school you've obviously been guiding for the last decade or so but you know it's a cliche but when did you get bit by by musky fishing, how did it happen? Well, I so I had I was lucky to have two two good buddies I grew up with. Both had cabins on on musky lakes. Um, my buddy Jim had a family cabin on Bone Lake in Wisconsin, and my buddy Scotty had a cabin on Pelican Lake up by Detroit Lakes. So, um, you know, it was it was very different. You know, like like Bone Lake was like this kind of established musky lake. You had a lot of guys from the Twin Cities kind of taking their weekend trips up there, and there's a lot of musky culture. Um, you know, Jim's neighbor up there, Bob, um, you know, really got us kind of set straight with musky fishing and how to do it and everything. And then conversely up, uh, you know, in the Detroit lakes area, like that was relatively new fishery, you know, and, and really, I mean, we were just catching these little spotted muskies, you know, when we were teenagers and catching them on husky jerks and stuff like that. And we're like, wow, these are kind of wild. These are crazy, you know? And, and then we sort of, you know, got into that a little bit more and, and really were lucky you know, when we were, um, you know, like in college and stuff, we would go up to, to Pelican Lake as that lake was really blossoming, I would say, and uh, had some, some good fishing. And I would just say, you know, kind of growing up with, with that and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if there was necessarily one moment, but, um, you know, just really a product of, of, you know, the Minnesota stocking program and just how all these lakes really um, came into their own kind of, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. Yeah, I mean, in the metro here, and a lot of Minnesota musky waters that we have today, they didn't exist until the program began kind of in the mid to late 80s. And so 
the average muskie, if it doesn't get killed by something, can live up to about 25 years. That's their max life expectancy. So um, talking with fisheries biologists in Minnesota, they, they always say that when they stock a new species into a lake, that first initial stocking is going to do the best. It does not have competition from, you know, the same species going after the same food, which is another important topic that we should touch on too. What do muskies eat? But anyway, um, the the stocking of those fish, the first ones went into these lakes and they just exploded. And the fishing was so good around 2000 to 2005, 2010. That's when it was at its peak. And the thing about, you know, for my, my story is I got into it in the 90s there and I didn't, it's not like my grandpa could take me out and teach me how to catch muskies because they didn't fish. My dad didn't fish muskies. I didn't know anybody that fished muskies. So I was out there reading stuff, watching TV shows, and it didn't pertain to these stocked fish that we now had in our lake. So I, once I figured it out and people knew, like, holy cow, you're catching like four, five, six muskies a day. I'm like, yeah. Like, can I pay you to go with? I'm like, yeah, you can. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> how it all started for me because it was just ridiculous back then. It was so good. And we know so much more about the gear now that we have and the lures and what we can do to trigger the bites and stuff. It's like, if I knew what I knew, if I knew then what I know now, Mm -hmm. I feel like we could average 10 muskies a day back then. And it's just not what it is today, but it's still, it's still great fishery. And I did mention, you know, what do muskies eat, Ryan? You know this as well, because somebody that loves muskies, I mean, in Natalie, I know you know this too, but there are people that despise the fish. They think that mm-hmm. that fish can go in and just like take all the walleyes out. Mm-hmm. Like it just like that's the constant thing about that creature is that it's taking all the walleyes. It eats all the bass. And all the studies that have ever been done, they the percentage of walleye in a muskie's diet is so minimal, right? And is it less than 1%? Because it's so close to 1%. But what they know is my buddy was out there and he was reeling in a, a 18-inch mm-hmm. walleye and a big muskie came up and grabbed it. And I'm like... Yeah, because it looked like something struggling to live mm-hmm. and they're going to eat whatever's on the surface looking like it's dying. So they're opportunistic feeders that way. But the reality is, you know, like on, I live in Waconia, so that particular lake is full of sheephead. And the muskies are pretty large out there because they eat sheephead. That's their forage there. Malax, tulabies, not walleyes in Malax, mm-hmm. um, bullheads, you know, some of these soft bodied fish are actually the muskies preferred diet suckers, Ryan. I mean, some of those lakes up North that you fish too. I mean, what are they eating up there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, you're hitting a lot of good points here. Um, yeah. I, I, so I actually, um, a couple of years ago, um, uh, this Camden from, from Bemidji state, they were doing a, a study, um, you know, they're sampling muskies from different lakes around the state just to see what their diet was. They're, you know, capturing the muskies, um, you know, essentially like pumping their stomachs, seeing what, what's in there. And, you know, like around here in the Twin Cities, and I've always said this, I, I think I you kind of validated my, my theory, but, you know, other, you, so I've always heard that, like the sheep's head on, on Waconia, um, you know, there's really not a tulipy presence in the Twin Cities, you know, so you don't have that big greasy forage. You know, Waconia grows some pretty big fish, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the lakes in the Twin Cities grow, you know, respectable fish, but they're not the big, wide bellied, fat, you know, Cisco, tulipy eaters that Vermilion and, and Mille Lacs have. Miltona. Yeah, even yep. the Bemidji area. Bemidji, Plantagenet. Yeah, a lot of those lakes up there. But I think what they found here is it's really kind of a grab bag. I always say it's like, you know, if you walk to the end of the dock and, you, like, everything you see swimming around, like, that's probably what they're eating. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a bullhead, you know, some panfish. Um, you know, walleye are game fish. Walleye are predators. Walleye are not easy for them to go eat. Um, they want to get, you know, a sucker is probably like the filet mignon here in the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head. You know, the walleyes are when they're when somebody's reeling it in, that's low hanging fruit, right? And that's when when the and but you think about we're talking about getting this the top water eat, getting that burned that image burned in your head. Think about what a what an image it is to watch a big muskie come up and eat your walleye. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And people, and then it's like, well, they're going around like Pac-Man down there, just like eating walleyes, you know? And, <laughs> right. and I just don't think it's, I, I think too, though, I, I think the clear water, I think, you know, zebra, you know, a lot of these lakes have gotten zebra mussels. The water has cleared up and 
it's thinned out a lot of the the weed beds in certain areas, and then it's it's made for deeper weeds, and then it's made for a lot of like you know fairly good like tall standing cabbage and stuff in and this is more more so like like Pelican Lake is a really good example that was kind of the epicenter of some anti musky sure. stuff for a while, and um, I think fortunately I think that's kind of gone away, but um, for for the time being, but. Um, really out there, you know, I think it was, there's a lot of old school guys that always went and caught their walleyes in certain areas. Right. And the water cleared up. And I think a lot of guys thought, well, we got to move a little deeper. Well, you're talking to some of these younger guys who are out there beating up on good walleyes and they're doing it in cabbage in like eight to 10 feet of water. Well, okay. So then everybody else kind of catches up on it. They're catching walleyes in, in eight to ten foot of water and cabbage. Well, what else do you think lives in cabbage in eight to ten mm-hmm. foot of water, yeah. right? I mean, so I think I think you know, and then in clear water, you know, they're coming up and they're. I just I think a lot of people saw walleyes get eaten, you know, from time to time, and then that that got in their head. And but yeah, it's not you know, anytime they go and do a, a study to see what's in the stomach of these muskies, the. Like, there's not even a slice of the pie in the pie chart for, you can't even for walleyes. See walleyes. I, I yeah. know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Do you think some of the public perception is starting to change around this topic? I know you've done a lot of advocacy. Is Have, have you seen things changing in terms of what people think, uh, how muskies are impacting different fish populations? I think so. I, I, I do. I mean, I, I'm generalizing a lot here with this statement, but I, I feel like a lot of, like, the younger generations of fishermen, I think a lot of them are just – they're catch and release guys. A lot of people like smallmouth fishing is, I think, more popular than it's ever been. That's all catch and release. Um, bass fishing in general, uh, musky fishing, even I think a lot of younger walleye fishermen, they're, you know, guys are going out to Green Bay, they're throwing them all back. They're just, they just want to catch trophies. Um, you know, they're going to Mille Lacs where, you, I mean, half the time you can't even keep fish, right. but it's, I think know, it's closed right now. It was open for like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. right. Every time the wind you changes. Could keep one. Yeah. You, could, you weren't driving up there to yeah. fill your freezer, that's yeah. for sure. But no, I, I think that it's changing a little bit. And I think with that, you know, I think people are, are realizing that, you know, I, I think, you know, the main consumer of, of walleyes are human beings, you know, I, at least from what I can tell. And I think people are starting to realize that. And, and I think muskies have a really good place in the ecosystem. There's not very many of them in the lake. They account for like less than a percent of the biomass in, in the lakes that they're in. Um, you know, pike. If you, you can get overrun with little hammer handle pike, those have way more of an impact on the ecosystem than a top end large muskie does, you know. Um, and I, I do think people are realizing that. How many times a day do you think a muskie eats? Oh, man. I get What's, asked that what question. What season a lot. are we in? Right now, I think, I think how many times a week would be a more appropriate mm-hmm. yeah, question. <laughs> I know. It's, I, I tell people, I'm like, I think. You know, I mean, as it gets later in the in the season when the water cools or metabolism slows, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, once a day, if you get two windows, you're lucky, you know, October, November. But, you know, during the peak of the of the summer, I, I don't know. I, I really, I'm fascinated by that question mm-hmm. and I can't ever give somebody an exact answer because in my mind, there's usually, you know, like when I first started doing musky guide trips, I would offer a half day trips and then ch- typically it's a four hour trip. And I'm like, there can be days when you can fish for muskies during a four hour window and you're not going to hit a feeding window. Mm-hmm. You know that, Ryan, mm-hmm. you know that Natalie, you, we, if you've musky fish long enough, mm-hmm. you've gone that stretch before. Yes. And I'm like, if I, if we go five hours or six hours, I feel like I almost always get at least one window in there. Maybe two, depending on the weather, moonrise, sunrise, all those different factors that trigger them to eat. But I don't know if they eat more than twice a day. I'm sure it depends on the time of year and metabolism and stuff like that. But in what they're eating, too, you know, like you eat one, they eat one big sucker or one big tulipy, that's a lot more than like a bunch of four-inch perch, you know. And, and right. I, I think that, too, is maybe why, like, like say, the four-inch perch eater you know, in Bald Eagle Lake or something in the Twin Cities, like it's got to exert a lot more energy to get to that same amount of, of calories, if you will, or whatever. And I actually, I, I don't think, I think it was my buddy Mike Kramer was telling me, he listened to a biologist talk one time and he was saying like, you know, say a 45 inch muskie, like the amount that that actually needs to eat, that that fish needs to eat in a week time frame, it like it could basically eat like once a week and and maintain like if it has fully reached its growth potential, it really they don't have to eat a, a ton. So, 
I don't know. I feel like, but like you're saying, I think like through, you know, whether it's moonrise, moonset or moon related or weather related, I think probably like a couple times a day, their energy level just kind of gets up. And I think if they're really hungry, they probably really go on the prowl. And if they're sitting fat and happy, they probably just kind of, you know, if something goes by them the right way, they might go grab it. But I don't think they're, you know, again, they're not going around like Pac-Man down there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's funny. I'm watching them now on the screen. I'm watching in front. And I go, well, oh, there's about 2,000 fish in front of me right now within the 60-foot window on, my, on the active target. And I'm like, you're, you're competing against that. Right. If that, you know, like you got to stand out. You got that. If that fish wants any one mm-hmm. of those poor little minnows out there, they're not minnows, but sunnies, crappies, tool, or not tulby, but sheephead. I can see the sheephead out there too. Like I was on Maconia uh, a couple times and they're spawning right now. So if you, have you ever seen a sheephead spawn? And they're kind of like, it's I don't a, think so. So, have you seen eel pout? Mm-hmm. Do they when do it in like a ball? Yes, kind they of? get into oh. a ball too, just okay. like the eel pout. So, there's videos online you can go and watch eel pout spawning, and they, they're like snakes curled up. Yeah. They were doing that the other day, and they were up near the surface, and some right. of them were following the baits. I've seen on Malax when I fish up there that. The tulipy in the fall when they spawn, yeah. they try. To, if you're mimicking the tulipy, they'll come up and try to spawn with your bait. <laughs> bait on that too. Um, so I've what, seen. Have you ever seen? Well, have you ever been to Clear Lake, Iowa? Yeah, there's like yellow bass that I've seen do that. They're like in this like spawning. It's the coolest, weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah, you just are like, what is going on there? Like, well, they obviously they're having a good time. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah you know what I'm doing afternoon. I need to watch these videos. I need yes, to catch up. absolutely. So when you were talking about eating stuff, I it thought of. There's a couple stories that I tell a lot to people that come out because I've seen muskies take down full-size ducks. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing you maybe have too, Ryan? Uh, I haven't actually seen it, but I've heard things behind okay. me. And yeah, and well, and a lot of times they, you know, when they make a mess on your front deck, mm-hmm. there's feathers in there a lot of times. In the fall. I think a lot of times coot feathers, but. There you go. So I've got two stories that I'll tell them. And maybe <laughs> you think of something you want to add. Okay, so this was like, maybe 20 years ago and we're fishing in September and in September muskies, like you mentioned before, they like to go up shallow and there's reeds on the spot and there's some rocks coming off the reeds. I'm like, we're working our way up there and I got two guys in the boat with me and I'm like, there's a big one up there. It's like 53 inches. Seen it for the last week and we're, you know, fishing our way up and and I'm like, it's going to be right on where the reeds stick out of the water just a little bit. And then there's kind of a little open spot in there. When we get there, you want to land it right in there. That's where that big one is sitting. And as I'm explaining that to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I see that. Okay, yep, yep. They're just a little bit more than a cast length away. Two full-size wood ducks come. They sail down and they land. Beautiful. I can just picture them. Yes, yes. Picture this in your mind, Natalie. Two full-size wood ducks come in and and they sit down. One of them sits right in that opening. (laughs) And it was just an explosion. And one wood duck flew away. And I'm like. That's the musk right there. They're, they're and there like, goes I'm the not feeding even window. Mad. Yeah. I'm no not spot. even mad. That was so cool to see that. It's amazing. Yes, and 20 years later, I'm still telling that story. And then, okay, so coot, you know how they migrate at night? They only fly at night. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you watch a lake that has coot on it, you don't watch them fly and leave like the other ducks do. So anyway, when they arrive, I've always noticed that almost like, a, like a light switch, something changes with the musky patterns. And it's not the weather, it's not the moon, it's not anything else that's different, it's the coot. Ah, oh, the coot. And I could never prove that they were eating the coot until finally one day a guy caught one and he's taking a picture and mm-hmm. yeah. right on the floor, <laughs> a big mess and black coot feathers in it. I mean, you think about the, the coot, it's like just the perfect musky meal. It just goes down there and plucks out the roots of those weeds and gets gobbled up. Oh, well, they'll cover acres of the water sometimes on certain lakes, right? I mean, yeah, it's just, that's, you know, you talk about low-hanging fruit. Right, (laughs) right. So mimic the coot. Yes. (laughs) It's amazing how we learn things as we fish. Yeah, you got to pay attention to those details (laughs) if you you want to continue to catch the fish, yeah. For sure. I want to ask one more question about feeding windows because somebody like myself, and I think a lot of people listening can probably relate, I'm not out on the water like you every single day. And I'm usually looking at my week, like in the summer, I can probably get out once or twice. When am I going to go? And what I try to do and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm looking for moon majors and minors, weather, pressure, wind changes. And I try to think of it. Like if I see a day that some weather's blowing in, 
I'm usually targeting that day thinking like weather trumps. That's the most important thing. Wind change and pressure. And then if I can get there with a, a major or minor in the day, that's going to be the next most important thing. How, how on track am I or other people that might be doing that too? No, that's, that's really good. I mean, in, in, you know, you can fish when you can fish, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you got a day that works for you, I mean, but yeah, timing is such a, a big element, right? And, and I like, I mean, obviously full moon, new moon, I will say like, like sometimes I show up to like, as a fishing guy, I should always know when it's full moon, but like sometimes whatever you're running hard, you're whatever. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you show up and you're like, it's Tuesday, it's 5am and there's 19 boats at the park mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, it's full moon, you know? And like, so, like, so just that very day, there's like way more fishing pressure, but like the day before there's nobody there. The day after mm-hmm. there's nobody there, you know, in those moon cycles, I feel like, you know, all things equal, like, you know, stable weather, you will start to see new fish, you know, kind of showing up on spots and, and maybe like, you know, some fresh fish kind of come in and, and are active. Um, but yeah, I, I like, um, stable weather that lead that then like yields a front. Right. So mm-hmm. like right now we're kind of in this weird, like every day is a little bit different. Like we haven't had like 48 hours of, you know, the same weather. Right. So like, here we go with a corny sports analogy. And I'm actually not that huge of a baseball guy. I quit playing baseball in like eighth grade, but all my analogies are baseball. But I always say like, you know, any good pitcher that has like a, a, a good breaking ball or off-speed pitch or something has to establish his fastball, right? So like these fronts, you know, these frontal days, it can be big bite days. Um, you have to have, you have to establish the fastball before those days are going to be effective. Like if you're having like front after front, or you mm-hmm. just have like 24 hours of nice weather and then another front comes in, um, I feel like they're not, it's not as effective. You need those fish to kind of like get into a pattern, um, you know, kind of get used to maybe go into the same feeding trough for a little while. And then it's like all the fish that are there, like when that front comes in, they're going to, they're going to be poised and ready to go. And you're going to, you should have a lot more activity. Um, but yeah, with moon, like I'll say one thing too, with moon, if you're not like, you know, full moon, of course, um, sun sets, moon rises sunrise is moon sets. Okay. I kind of like sometimes when you have like, I, th- I feel like later in the year, like later summer, um, when you're coming off the coolest part of the day, which is night, right? So like early morning sunrise, a lot of times is really good. I like when you have like a moonrise or something, say like if the sun comes up at six twenty, I like moonrise to be at like eight forty five Cause I feel like you kind of like extend Mm-hmm. This period, like a lot of times that whole morning is pretty active. You'll have like three or four hours. So same with, with uh, you know, on the backside. Like right now, a lot of times evenings are better, right? So if you have like a moon rise or something at midnight, maybe you want to, if you're wild and crazy, you want to stay out a little bit later, you know, maybe you stay out till then, um, you know, and, and on the front side of that, if you're like me and you got a, a bedtime, um, you might want to be, you know, you know, if you got like a five o'clock moon event or something and sun setting, you know, around nine, then it should kind of extend and make that whole evening a little bit more fishy. Is it true that it's something I heard? I used to get really excited about fishing during the day during full moon, like I think many people, but then somebody put it in my head that muskies can hunt more at night when it's a full moon because they have the extra light, which would then mean they're going to be eating less during the day. Have you seen that? So... I've done a lot of fishing at night and, and caught a lot of muskies at night. I, I wouldn't, I, there's guys and Travis, I'm sure, you know, there, I got buddies that were like vampires, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's all they do. And a lot of these guys on the clear water, they actually like new moon where there is no moon. They like it. dark. Which would would speak to that. No, no, no. He's saying during the the darkest of nights. Okay. For nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, full moon, like if I haven't been doing a lot of night, I mean, literally it, it, a lot of it comes down to eyesight and like these guys, the guys mm-hmm. I know, like they, they're like, you see, I, I, I saw one. I'm like, how did you see <laughs> one? You know? yeah. Um, but like the full moon's going to help you, you know, and, and, you know, see things if it's not cloudy out, obviously. But, um, I, you know, I, I guess I should have a better answer, but I'm, I, I guess it, for me, full moon doesn't necessarily mean better night fishing for me. It usually means better fishing just overall day or night. Yeah, it seems, you know, I used to keep a really detailed journal to really understand this fish. And I always, regardless of the weather, I mean, if you get weather, wind, rain, crappy weather, that's awesome. 
But you never predict that. But every month, you know you're going to get a full moon and you're going to get a new moon. And I always found the five days leading up to the full moon were my best five days of the month. So I tell people, if you're going to plan a trip, you're going to go up to Canada on a musky fishing adventure, give yourself the advantage. If you're planning ahead, most likely you are, go when you've got the best chances. I always say five days leading up to a full moon have in my boat, and it's it's analytics for me now, mm-hmm. basically based on all the numbers that I've calculated, just bigger fish, more fish, more active. It, the moon is a powerful thing that we don't understand. We just can't. But it makes a big difference when you're out there trying for one bite and you notice it that it always happens when the moon is on the horizon. And typically, you know, when it's when it's full, like you mentioned, Ryan, I like leading up to it versus the day of, because like you said, a full moon is when the moon is rising as the sun is setting at the exact same time. So you got those two, two factors that trigger them to feed happening at one time. But if, if they're an hour apart, now you got, it spreads that out a little bit longer. So, I mean, roughly 45 minutes or whatever difference in time each day that it adjusts. But it, to me, it always felt like those days leading up to it were better. And then afterwards, it's almost like, these bunch of brat party guys out partying, you know, and then they're just hung over for a couple yeah, of days yeah. after. Uh-huh. So not that it was a complete lull after the full moon, but I always prefer going before the full moon versus after if I have my choice. I, so that's the 77th or 78th thing we agree on 100% today. <laughs> yeah. So, but I got a question for you. So yeah. I, I'm, uh, yeah, like the pre, the priestess. So, okay. Does that, how do you feel about, the daily moon events, like say a moonrise. So say you got a big one. Say that say that wood duck didn't land there, yeah. right? <laughs> and you're gonna come back on that 53 in the reeds. I want to come back when the moon is just coming up. So on it, the horizon. If if it's if it's so happening just after? at say it's happening at 12:30. Are yep. you going there at 12:30? Are you going there at 12:45? Are you going there at 12:15? 12:25. Okay. I want to be there. I don't want right to miss it. On the spot. Yeah. And every once in a while, I've noticed where there could be a little window that I like, I know there was activity here. We saw seven muskies in a 25 minute window, but it was actually 40 minutes before moonrise mm-hmm. and there was nothing at moonrise. So whatever it was that triggered them, if we were fishing in the ocean and we saw the tides moving, we would see it. We can't see it here, but it's happening underwater. And I found this for walleyes and bass you know if i'm fishing areas or a tournament or something that i need to get a big one like i know there's certain days of the month where it's going to be best and there's going to be certain times of the day when they're going when you're going to have more action typically you don't see it when you're bass fishing as often because you may be already caught 25 fish leading up to it whereas with muskies you see it because it's one strike or you had no follows and then all of a sudden it just went crazy the other night or the other morning i, I took a guy out and um, we saw, I want to say, in five casts, four fish. And I'm like, you got to catch one of these right now. And eight wasn't happening. And I'm like, your window's closing. Your window's closing. And he's like, oh, I got to send a text. I'm like, do it in a couple uh-huh. minutes. I'm like, your window is open. <laughs> no. yeah. And then all of a no. sudden, it closed like that. And he's like, where'd they go? And I'm like, they all turned off and they all turned on at the same time. And that's, yeah. that's crazy. It's heartbreaking. He's like, that's just cool to see. But it was almost every cast. Every fish was interested at that exact time. And then they all turn off. And I go, watch this. We're going to go right back over those fish. And I'm, you're going to cast over them. And he's like, and, we, and I showed him my, our track on the line. I go, you're casting over one right now. You're casting over one right now. Nothing, 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 nothing. Wow. And he knew they were there. I'm like, I told you they're there, but the windows are so tight lived. So um, obviously majors and minors, you know, I, I tell people there's four key feeding times every day we want to hit on if you can. It's sunrise, sunset, moonrise, moonset. And then of course you've got the minor, you know, overhead, underfoot. Um, but I, Just, I feel like you can tell me what you think too. Oh, you're going to be disappointed by my segue. But speaking of windows, you guys wouldn't believe it, but we're coming up on an hour here. Oh, my God. I know it is fun. I feel like I this conversation, for I know. so I'm thinking we need yeah. to have Ryan back part two. because we will, we'll yeah. have a part two eventually. Cause I know you've got to get off to another client. We've got a few minutes left, but I'm thinking maybe I rapid fire off just a couple quick questions for you, for people at home. 
Are you are you ready for a few few rapid fire ones? And we'll table the <sighs> rest of this for next out a time. Bit, but. <laughs> um, they should be pretty simple. But I would ask for you for people listening at home that are maybe aspiring guides want to build a business like you have done successfully over the last decade. Uh, what's something that you wish you would have known before starting your business? Oh boy. Um, probably how expensive everything is. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I would say, you know, definitely, you know, don't, don't quit your day job. Right. I mean, it's, it's so much, it's a, it's a lot about, you know, catching fish and, and performing and all that, but you know, muskies, as we've just covered are tough to catch and, you know, you've got to build a lot of relationships with people. You've got to gain the trust of people. You have to be a fun person to be with. Not saying I am, because I can be. You seem like a pretty fun guy. Oh boy, you can, if they're not. How do you fish with them? Is yeah. he a fun guy? Usually, yeah. When we're catching fish, yeah. Yeah. No. Yes, we, we have a lot of fun together. But you have yeah. to have the right attitude to be a guide. For absolutely, sure. absolutely. And and it's not going to happen overnight because you got to build up that client base. Mm-hmm. And and um, you know, some guys might want to fish with you one year and then they can't the next year. I mean, you gotta, you have to, you have to get a pretty deep rolodex. Um, I don't know. Some young people might not know what a Rolodex is anymore, but you still have big context. through it all the time. Uh, but no, I mean, definitely, you know, whatever you, you got going, keep your day job, find a way to work it in, um, you know, and just try to build relationships and, and have fun out there. You know, I mean, just have fun, put people in the best best possible position to catch fish that day, and um, and just work hard. Other than the Twin Cities Metro, if somebody anywhere around the country, around the world gets inspired to go somewhere to, to musky fish for a weekend or a long weekend, where would you send them? Um, yeah. Other than your boat. Right. The, yeah, the metro. yeah. The front of my boat. No, uh, I would say, I mean, Lake of the Woods is probably, you know, my favorite place to go to go fishing for muskies. You know, just it's it's probably the most impressive natural musky fishery, Beautiful. I think, in the universe. Um, and it's, you know, I love to, you know, it's, it's, it's up North. It's so, I mean, those fish are like, it doesn't get too warm. They're always craving heat. They're always, you know, going, sitting up on the rocks, you know, soaking in heat. They're active, you know, at the hottest part of the summer. Um, and it's just power fishing. It's throwing bucktails, top water, you know, just like taking it to them, you know, for the most part. And, um, you know, with there's a lot it. of them up there. Oh, I it's know. so it, much fun it up is. there. Yeah. And like whatever, whatever looks good is good. There's probably three. Yeah. 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 Very if there's true. a natural ambush point there. I, yeah. I know. It's Natalie, my favorite I know place. Fished up mm-hmm. there. I mean, it's, it's so cool. So yeah, yeah. that'd probably be it. So last, this is probably a little cliche, but what separates good musky fishermen from really great musky fishermen? Hmm. Um, I, I would say probably the, just the little details, you know, um, you know, in, in, you know, not that I would put myself in, in, you know, the conversation of really great musky fishermen, but I, I know, you know, I'll, I'll get hired, you know, by some guys around town that, you know, I see them out there fishing a lot, you know, fishing the same water and, you know, we might go out and, and catch one or two or something. And, and at the end of the day, we're in the parking lot, you know, you know, departing and, and saying goodbye and, and uh, they're just shaking their head, and they're like, I, you know, they're like, I don't get it. Like, I, we fish all the same spots you do, you know. Like, and and I'm like, well, no kidding, right? Like, I mean, I see guys out there. You see me. These aren't huge lakes, you know. And and I think a lot of times, just you know, casting angles, you know, the way you're working your bait. I mean, it's just like we're saying. I mean, there's the figure eight you talked about. Yeah, mm-hmm. figure yeah. eighting. Yes. I mean, just just capitalizing on the chances that you get, um, and just I mean, being perfect all the time. You know, and yeah, not checking your phone, not, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. you yep. know, or it, like stopping your bait mid retrieve to itch your nose or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, it's, you got to be dialed in, laser focused. Um, and then, yeah, every musky catch, every fish that you catch, you should be able to learn something mm-hmm. from it. Um, and just in, and, and, you, and at the same time, you should, you, you got to forget what you did too yesterday sometimes, you know, because you can get stuck in a rut fishing, in, you know, yesterday's pattern or last week's pattern. So, you know, just, Try to gather as much information and and just store that away somehow and just keep track of all the the, the different uh, variables and stuff that go into a catch and um, and try to duplicate it as much as you can. Ryan, where can people find you? They want to check out all the big fish your clients are, are <laughs> catching or book you. Sure. Um, so I, I got a website. It's TwinCitiesMuskie.com, uh, Muskie with a Y. Um, otherwise... Um, I'm twinsies musky on, on Instagram. That's a good place. You know, we're usually posting catches and stuff like that on, on Instagram. 
Um, otherwise, yeah, you know, if you really want to get out, um, got a few open days yet left, left this year, pretty booked up, but you can always give me a call or shoot me a text at 651-206-8767. Cool. Travis, I, anything you want to add right now? I just want to go musky fishing. I know. Oh, we're talking <laughs> I know. About it. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time today. I hope no. that the fish turn on and stay turned on for you the rest of the season and all the lucky anglers in your boat get to catch the fish of a lifetime. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks again to Sportsman's Guide for jumping on and supporting our podcast. Our first sponsor, if you shop at sportsmansguide.com and use the code DUNORTH, you'll get $20 off your first order. For those of you listening at home, make sure you subscribe for future episodes. And if you want to submit questions or even recommendations for future guests, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Outdoors, and send us your questions there. I think that's it. Until next time. Make sure to introduce someone new to the great outdoors. See you guys. Mm-hmm.